Principal Matters Podcast, Episode 365. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the School Leaders Podcast, where each week we bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, we're talking about likable leadership with my special guest, Lisa Perry. Lisa Perry is a veteran English teacher and a K-12 principal who is proud to lead a 2021 National Blue Ribbon Elementary School and a 2020 ESEA Distinguished Elementary School. In 2022, her colleagues recognized her as South Dakota Region 1 Principal of the Year. Some of the most gratifying work she has done has been serving as a co-developer and facilitator of the South Dakota Department of Education's Good to Great Teacher Mentoring Program, speaking and writing about likable leadership, master mindsets, and meaningful messaging is important to her. She has presented at the National Blue Ribbon School Conference, and she will be sharing her message there again this fall at the Making Schools Work Conference Summer 2023. Lisa earned a master's in educational leadership from South Dakota State University and a bachelor's in English education from the University of South Dakota. You can learn more about her at her website at principalperry.com. Lisa Perry, welcome to Principal Matters Podcast. Why don't you fill in the blanks on that intro and tell listeners something else they may be surprised to know about you. Thank you, Will. Such a pleasure to be with you. Long time listener for sure. Uh, yeah, every word you just spoke is true. I'm glad you spelled that last name. There are a lot of P-E-R-R-Ys around my neck of the woods. And so anywhere uh, that I go, I always have to spell that P-A-R-R-Y. Um, you know, in addition to all the things that you mentioned, one thing that I'm really proud to share and think is unique is that I still teach. Uh, I'm a pre-K 12 principal in a rural South Dakota district. We have about 300 students. Um, and I'm now in that in that stage of that season of my career where I'm teaching the the children of the of the parents that I once taught back in the day. So that's always kind of cool. But uh, as I lead this pre-K-12 school, I still teach one class every year. I teach AP Lang and Comp to seniors. And I'll tell you, it is the thing that keeps me grounded. And, and if I've got other principals out there listening, I would like to tell you how um, valuable that experience is to be in the classroom every day with students and to be able to, you know, utilize those relationships and have them help you with um, issues around the school. And it also keeps you very grounded so that you remember what it is to grade and to plan and to post grades and to talk to teachers. Um, I do it all. And I think it makes me a better leader. Well, you know, I taught AP Ling and was a high school language arts teacher, uh -huh, Lisa. Uh -huh. So I am, I can so relate to just the joy and the relevance for your leadership that teaching uh, involves. I did not teach regularly when I was a principal, but I remember one year our AP Ling teacher was going on maternity leave. And so she asked me if I could, She we had a full-time sub coming in. So she asked me if I could cover that class for the, for the semester. And what a joy yep. to just be able to step back in and be with students and hear from students. And one of the students from that class, when she graduated, went to college, got her teaching degree and came back and became one of the teachers 
for my building. Yeah. So she's not only was she, she yeah, not only was she. So I love it that you're now getting the children of former students. I love it and, too. and what a joy when you get to have some of your former students become teachers for you yeah, as well. Absolutely. Tell us about Arlington School District and tell us a little bit more about um, your students and your community. Well, as I said, we're a rural district in South Dakota where um, I would call us central, east central South Dakota. We're really close to a university town. Uh, Brookings, South Dakota is the home of South Dakota State University. And so we have a lot of, um, while in our community, you know, we're, we're a town of about 900 people. So it's nice to have Brookings so close because there's a lot of uh, cultural events that happen over there, a lot of educational opportunities for um, myself, my staff, and our students to go on for post-secondary. A lot of really cool athletic things going on over there. They just went D1 in sports, and so that's been kind of exciting. It's been within the last couple of years. And so, you know, we're small, and I love that because there is a little bit of, uh, and this will date me, and uh, some won't know what I mean, but there's a little Mayberry in Arlington. There's still a little bit of, you know, that hometown um, romanticism that lives in small town America. But 20 miles down the road, you know, there's there's all the creature comforts that you want. You know, there's retail and there's and there's restaurants and there's opportunities that South Dakota State University brings. And so I really like where we're at because we have that idyllic, I think anyway, that idyllic uh, lifestyle here in small town America. And uh, yet we've got access to, you know, some some really top notch opportunities just down the road. And so uh, we're very agricultural. Um, and uh, students often go to South Dakota State University, but in our state, we also have a very robust, robust technical school system. And a lot of our students go over to a technical school and um, get into trades, which is really, you know, I mean, that's exploding all over the country in popularity and in, in demand for those professions. So I'm excited to see that too. I love that, Lisa. And you're just bringing back some great memories. I started my career in a very large suburban ninth and 10th grade center uh, south of Tulsa, Oklahoma. And when I decided to, um, I had an offer from a friend who was the principal in a smaller town to teach AP Lang and to teach him advanced English. And I remember when I went into that smaller community being um, it, it, a little bit in culture shock, even though I had in my younger years grown up in a smaller community as a teacher, I was I would find myself at the end of, a, I would teach a class and I would find myself at the end of the lesson with students just like surrounding me in my desk. And they would be asking all kinds of personal questions yeah. and wanting to know about my weekend. And at first I was disarmed. I thought, is this a ploy? Are they trying to like, are they trying to set me up? And then I just realized oh. over time that this is the culture of a smaller community. They want, they don't want to just be like, you're not just their instructor. They want to know everything about you. And so working in a, in a small community like that, I, I imagine for a leader, that's both an advantage and a disadvantage. And so I, I want to talk a little bit because the the theme of this podcast is going to be likable leadership, but feel free to speak to that for a little bit in terms yeah, of, of some of those unique. familial. You know, mm -hmm. it, it just really is. And it's very personal. And, and it is a blessing and a curse. You know, you, when you, when you live in a small community, there's no anonymity here. Um, there's nowhere that I'm going to go in Arlington proper that somebody's not going to see me. And if I, behave in a way or say something that's incongruent with the Mrs. Perry persona that exists, you know, that is going to make its way back to me. Um, but what a blessing, because I want to say this, 
in a small town, you know who loves you and you know who doesn't. But what I have found, and this is true of families and this is true of students well, and I think it's so interesting, is what I find is that the people who will do anything to you, you know, just come at you hard and come at you with heat, the people who will do anything to you most often will do anything for you. Mm -hmm. And that is really true of kids. And you can probably tap into that with some of the students that you've had where there may be some of your most challenging individuals or maybe it's the most challenging parents. But when it comes down to it, I had a flat tire in a parking lot. Um, this was years ago. And uh, one of the first kids out of the building was a kid who would not have given two cents for me in the classroom. And I, you know, I, I was ready to call somebody, you know, get somebody there. Well, I can take care of that for you, Mrs. Perry. And I, and I remember having that thought, my goodness, you'd probably do about anything to me and here you are doing anything for me. And so that's, that's the nature to me of a small town you know, relationship. And isn't that even the, the nature of our own families? I mean, I'm so much more, I used to come home from work and I couldn't really always you know, express my anger or frustration at work. So I'd go home and express it on my three children and my husband, right? I would do anything to them and I would also do anything for them. And I think that's kind of the balance of, of you know, small town America and the, the challenging, or if you would want to call it difficult relationships that you have with people. That's been my experience. Oh, I, that's so encouraging. And it's such a great reminder that how do you leverage those, the intensity of those tough relationships by recognizing that dynamic that's happening there? Because you're right. When I think back to my experiences with some of the hardest conversations I've had with people, and there are some where there there are hard conversations from which you can never repair because yep. some people are just not um, in the place <laughs> yeah. in their heart or their mind where they right. where they want to be friends. But right. there's a lot of hard conversations with people I've had that have led to deeper trust. Yep. And so it's so I so I wrote that down. The most give it to you folks are mm -hmm. also sometimes the most anything for you folks. Hundred percent. Uh, so that's so great. Well, you've had so much experience, Lisa, in not just teaching and education leadership for your community, but also in professional development for educators. And I'm just going to be transparent with Principal Matters listeners. You shared with me a link to one of your trainings that I got to watch, and you are a fantastic professional development presenter. Well, you've had, you, you know, you've worked with that. the South Dakota Department of Education. You've spoken and written about likable leadership, master mindsets, meaningful messaging. But where I really wanted to focus today's conversation was on why do you, when you're talking with educators, why do you focus so much on likable leadership? Well, I think right now in education, we're seeing, um, you know, we're seeing a bit of a Waterloo. Uh, we're looking at teachers leaving the profession like never before. Um, we're looking at students able to transfer in and out and go online and homeschool. You know, when I, when I was a high school student, and this would have been back in the late 80s, early 90s, you just went to school where you lived and, and it didn't matter if you liked it or didn't like it. It didn't matter who you were mad at. You just, I, I'm from Howard, South Dakota. I graduated from Howard, South Dakota in 1990. And the, I don't remember there being any question about where I would go to school or my brother. Um, and now th there are a multitude of options for my students. And, and so I'm, I'm always thinking about myself and, and our teachers as, as people who've got to be well-versed in customer service mm -hmm. and who have to provide good customer service. And to me, 
and I, I, these two words, they're not mine, but I, this is what I kind of pin this idea on. When I go into a store or a restaurant or have a, a, an experience, I want someone who is competent and warm. That, that's what I need from uh, somebody at B-dubs. That's what I need from somebody at Walmart. That's what I need from somebody at Kohl's. I need that where I get my oil changed. I want someone who's competent and warm. And I think, I know, classroom teachers are leaders. Their students need them to be warm and competent in order for them to want to continue to consume the product that is the Arlington School District. And as a teacher, which I am, and a principal, I've got to be warm and competent if I want teachers, students, all my stakeholders to continue to want to consume the product that is the Arlington School District. And if we aren't likable, if, and if we're not warm and if we're not competent, then I don't know why anyone would want to do business with us after, after they've, we've shown them who we are. And so I, I believe so firmly that educators have the power to turn around this, this, this ship that is headed you know, over the edge of the waterfall. I, I, I fear if we don't, I believe if we don't, these next generations of kids aren't gonna have teachers, they're gonna have computers. And to me, education is a social experience and computers can do a lot and they're a wonderful tool. They cannot replace human beings who are warm and competent. And, and if kids don't learn that from us, they're not gonna learn it. And so we adults have to be able to model that for them. So let's stay here for a few minutes and Please. let's get really practical yeah. because um, there seems to be this pendulum that I see happening in education conversations. And <clears throat> I think that this is actually two sides of the same coin. So let me use a double metaphor there. Um, no problem. But, We're both blind on, people. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but on, on one side, you have a reminder that we need a commitment to rigor. We need to have a commitment to standards. We need to have an understanding of our content. We yes. need to make sure that there are high expectations for learning. We need yes. to make sure that we have... Um, strong classroom management. All of those are true. And then yeah. on the other side of that coin, we have a reminder that relationships are essential, that we must have, as you said, warm, competent, um, trusting, safe, predictable mm -hmm. environments, um, places where people can enjoy learning, mm -hmm. places where where fun and laughter are also allowed and creativity can be sparked and design thinking and discovery, all of those things that are a part of the, I call it the magic of a, of a great classroom. Yep. And Lisa, you and I both know that, that those are just two sides of the same coin. And so when you're talking to people about likable leadership, I'm sure that sometimes the, the first pushback would be like, well, I don't really care if they like me, I just want them to behave. How do you respond to that in light of the art and the science involved in teaching and leadership? Well, I just would invite people to reflect a little bit on their own, you know, life experiences with people who've been unlikable. And I, you know, a typical human does not want very much interaction with someone who's unlikable, whether that's at the DMV, whether that's at 
the dentist office, you know, if I, I mean, honestly, there are several dentists in Brookings, South Dakota. If I went in and had an appointment or one of my children had an appointment with the dentist and that person was unlikable, had no warmth, I would shop for a new dentist. And, and if that was the only dentist in town, then you suffer then you suffer the unlikability because you know your teeth matter more than your emotional experience at the dentist, right? So I tell myself, you know what, suck it up. You got to get this cavity filled. It, it, it doesn't matter. But if I've got the choice between A and B, and A is competent and nice to be around, and B is competent and a pain, why in the world? Why in the world? Uh, in this in this society, this culture of options everywhere. Why would I choose someone who is abrasive, who is prickly, who is cold, who is, I just, I wouldn't. And I know I'm not everybody. I know some people probably don't want a warm dentist because then they got to, you know, a higher dirt out when you're, they're asking you questions, you got to use your mouth. And so, yeah, dentist was maybe a bad one because the warm dentist is maybe trouble. But um, people perform well for people they like. And I don't think, I don't think it's the same as being soft. I don't think it's warm and soft. I think those are different. And I think that I can set boundaries and hold boundaries while being warm. I do not think being rigorous and making sure that my classroom has, the, has a culture where teaching and learning can happen and people can enjoy themselves. I don't think that that is incongruent with warmth. You, because you and I have shared notes, I know you have a few illustrations on this area of of helping um, teachers to stay um, connected to their students. Mm-hmm. And so, so share share with us a little bit of. Uh, and I, I, I don't want to um, try to steer this conversation too directly, but I want to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about how you feel like we're losing too many students and teachers to competitors. Yeah, I I just, I think that we've got to be cognizant of and responsive to the reality that there are many options for people. And, and, you know, for teachers, I'll just talk from my perspective as a pre-K-12 principal. Um, There are other districts my teachers could work in, and there are other professions my teachers could work in. And I, I need to know, I need to remember and keep top of mind that the way that I make them feel when they're with me or when they're thinking about me even, the way that I make them feel is going to make all the difference in whether or not they continue to add value to our school. Uh, Maya Angelou, who is a wonderful writer, a poet and a, and a, a, a book writer as well. Um, at the end of the day, people will remember what, uh, they won't remember what you said or what you did, but they'll remember how you made them feel. And I the first principal I had who really poured into me and built me, Paul Nelson, Lake Preston High School, my second job ever. I left my first because it just, it, it wasn't a good fit. And then I ended up in a district where I really uh, grew. And I, and I don't remember all the things Paul said to me. You know, there, were, there are not a lot of Paulisms that I can bring out right now. But I'll tell you what, when he and I talked, he had me convinced I could do it. Mm-hmm. And he had me convinced even more that I was doing it and that I was doing it well. And I, I won't ever forget the way he made me feel. He's the reason I stayed in education. And I try to make sure 
that I make teachers feel that way. And it doesn't mean that you turn a blind eye toward, you know, practices that aren't in the best interest of students. But my gosh, you grant people grace and you realize that if somebody comes in it, you know, their best is 50% that day, it's still probably 49% better than Joe Blow you drag off the street and put in the classroom. Like we we were all we're all people, Will. We yeah. are all people. And the minute that I start making it difficult to be here in this space, this school, that's where I'm sitting now, and to make mistakes or to fall short is the minute I better be 100% all the time. And good, I'm not, so I'm not, that's not my expectation. Our good friend, Jimmy Casas, mm -hmm. who wrote Culture Rise, has started yep. a, um, a really great podcast series called The Interview Chair. And I was listening to a recent episode where he talks about the golden rule and is and he says this as simple as this sounds think about the impact in your community if you are the first to model treating others as you would want to be treated yourself and just think about how that multiplies across a community if you're committed to it first as as the leader of whatever setting you're in but also yep. if you can convince others on your team to to adapt that same philosophy I, I love that i do too and one other thing i'd say oh i hope i didn't lose it oh yeah i like to ask myself this question if everyone was acting like me what kind of place would this be if everyone was acting like this then what kind of place are we and if i and if i feel good about the kind of place this place would be then that keeps me in check and i think lord i don't because you know attitude and i think attitudes of leaders teachers their attitudes, their behaviors, their vibes, their energy, they're contagious. Just like having the flu. You're going to spread that throughout the 20 people in your classroom. And then guess what? Those 20 people are going to go to lunch with 40 other people and they're going to spread it. And I, I, my vibe, my energy is contagious. I'm a virus. I'm a bacteria. I'm a whatever. And so what I do spreads. And so if everyone caught what I have today, are we better off or are we worse off? And so that, you know, if everyone was like me, how would we be is something that I run through my mind. And if I'm kind of getting, because I get cranky, I get frustrated, I get burnt out, but I try to just, I try to keep that in check because, well, everybody's got their own thing. You know, nobody needs to carry my burden. They've got their own. So I'll pick up mine, I'll carry it, and I'll try to help you carry yours too. Support for Principal Matters comes from School CEO. School CEO is a research and perspectives magazine for superintendents and other K-12 leaders powered by Aptigy. School CEO has many resources. First and foremost, their quarterly print magazine. Explore schoolceo.com to explore how you can market the strengths of your schools. You can sign up for their newsletter and subscribe to their podcast. And you should also look into the School CEO Conference, which brings keynote speakers together to explore how to build a better brand and culture in your school. Learn more at schoolceo.com. Support for Principal Matters comes from DigiCoach and its walk-through tool. I want you to picture walking through classrooms, observing teachers and students in just 10 minutes you hope to see good instructional strategies and student learning taking place, or maybe you have some questions about something missing from instruction or planning. Instead of taking 
30 minutes to write a follow-up email or leaving your teacher unsupported, wouldn't it be great to have an app on your phone or tablet where you could send immediate feedback while also collecting data? Enter DigiCoach, a customizable walkthrough and coaching tool created by school leaders for school leaders with thousands of pre-written, research-based commendations and coaching tips empowering you to provide quick, actionable feedback. DigiCoach is not an evaluation tool. Instead, it is an easy-to-use feedback and coaching tool, an efficient way to store your notes and to collect data for improving student outcomes right in your hands. It can be used on iPhone, Android, or tablets and includes speech-to-text functions. Make the most of your walkthroughs with a tool that saves you time and enhances meaningful feedback to your teachers. Go to digicoach.com to learn more, and please tell them Principal Matters recommended you check them out. That's digicoach.com. Oh, that's so cool. Um, in my book, Messaging Matters, I mm-hmm. quote some research that was shared on a podcast called Invisibil- Invisibilia, where they mm-hmm. talk about this phenomenon within physics where sometimes um, um, particles can become entangled. And so this entanglement is something that scientists know um, what to call it, but they don't know how it actually happens. So sometimes um, they can isolate, and I'm not a scientist and I'm not explaining this very well, Lisa, so forgive me those of you in science out there that know more about entanglement than I do, but apparently they can sometimes isolate particles and manipulate one, but because it's so entangled with a separate particle, it also moves at the same time that the one that they're touching does in a, in a separate location. Yep. And so this, this, this entanglement that happens within this, um, that scientists have identified, that's this crazy phenomenon. Um, in the Invisibilia episode, they were connecting that practice to ways that that's seen in the psychological relationships that we have. For instance, they've done studies of people standing in elevators who um, they'll have someone cued in the elevator who's wearing a hat to take his hat off. And if other people are wearing their hats, most consistently other people will take their hats off too, just because they're getting getting a social cue from someone else. Um, And so, and so, you know, and so let's apply that to what you just said, which is that if everyone acted like me, what kind of place would this be? Um, It's just, it's a reality, I think, of not, I think it's a reality of nature, Lisa, Yes. that the the kind of climate that we, the kind of um, attitudes and emotions that we sow into the climate that we live in each day are going to bear fruit. Yes. And if you multiply that across an entire community, that's called school culture. Yes. That's called Absolutely. school culture. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. I, I love that. I want to look at that entanglement thing a little bit more. I think that that's very interesting. And I, I can see its connection to the work that we do and the, the importance. Well, before we move we on, tell us, tell us, um, share with us your illustration about Mary Gold's. Well, Jen Gonzalez of Cult of Pedagogy fame, and if you're an ELA teacher in particular, I think all educators, all educators should know about Jen Gonzalez, especially ELA people. She's got a lot of resources for you there too. But Jen um, wrote a uh, great uh, essay 
And I've got it written up here. I was hanging up on my board over on the side and it's called Find Your Marigold. And I share this every year with new staff. And I'm no gardener. I'm no scientist either. The list of things I'm not as long, but <laughs> I am a reader and uh, I, love, I love a metaphor. And Jen wrote about the fact that marigolds are apparently, they're, they're wonderful companion plants. And so if you plant a marigold uh, around other flowers, it to a certain degree, you know, nurtures uh, the plants that it's near. And so through this metaphor, Jen encouraged educators to find their marigolds. And a marigold in a school setting like ours is the, the person who looks for the good, the, the person who wants to see the good and the person who wants to be the good. Um, it doesn't, you know, you're not looking for uh, some, you know, archetype of somebody who just does rainbows and unicorns all the time because people like that aren't real. I mean, real is that it's sometimes hard, but that new teachers, veteran teachers, principals, you need to find the people who want to see the good and be the good because again, that's contagious. And if you go in and you find that, and I'm sorry to all the Nancys out there, but if you go find the negative Nancys or now the, the name Karen, poor the poor, the poor Karen, my, my daughter's mother-in-law is named Karen. And I feel for it because she's anything but. But you know, when you find the quintessential Karen uh, that has become so popular in our pop culture, you can't, you know, those people, the negative Nancys, they, they do serve a purpose in my life. I sometimes will seek out a negative Nancy. This is actually what I do well. If I'm kind of feeling down, maybe I'm a little upset personally or professionally, I seek out a negative Nancy and that person invariably makes me grateful for and happy about my life. That's <laughs> how I use those people. And I have, I have some in education and some out. And if I'm feeling like I'm hitting the wall here, I know who to call because it's way worse over there. It, it's hellfire and brimstone over there. And I get off the phone and I'm like, dang, I am so glad to be the leader of the Arlington School District. I love my husband. I love my children life is perfect. So Jen would tell you to avoid the negative Nancys. And I think when you're a young teacher, that's important because veteran negative Nancys and young teachers, there's a lot of pressure there, you know, and, and you feel like you got to kind of respond in kind and you got to start complaining too. And then pretty soon you're getting affirmation for being a complainer. And all of a sudden you're a part of that cult and you've been, and you don't even know you're in it because that's how, you know, manipulative it is. But if you're my age, your age, you know, you're somebody who's been around for a while, you, you don't want to cut those negative Nancys loose. You want to keep them, you know, in your cell phone because they're very, very beneficial. For well, here's what I'm reframing your experiences. Yeah, I, I've mentioned this earlier, Lisa, but here's what I've discovered about you is you, you have a superpower of knowing how to leverage Yes. Both good really and try. difficult. Both good and difficult people. So I want to I want to go there for a few minutes because this is actually something that you teach others how to do. Tell us about lessons that you have learned helping deal with challenging or difficult conversations, especially lessons that might help others who struggle with that skill set. Well, three things. The first one is, yes, it's personal. Okay, like, but that doesn't mean it's about you. And and I I want if I if I could tell if I could get people to understand anything, is that if if you're in education, and it's hot, 
Yes, it's personal. Did you think it wouldn't be? You're working with people's children. I grew up in a nursing home well. My dad was a uh, nursing home administrator. My mom was a nurse. There were many nights, holidays, weekends, when my dad would get called into work and my brother and I ate in the you know dining room next to people who were drinking their meatballs and mashed potatoes. We played bingo, we did the whole thing. And you know what? I didn't know it then, Will, but I was learning at my father's knee about what it was to lead people involved with those who are, are vulnerable. My dad took care of people's parents who could no longer take care of themselves. That is very personal work. People would be upset about things that were, it didn't necessarily have to do with my dad or the care center. It had to do with the fear that these children had for their parents and for their well-being. And God bless them. And you know what? I'm going to go off in 50 tangents, but I have to say this. If you're doing things and people aren't getting upset, if something, you know, you're, you're um, having to level some consequences with the kid, with the kid, by gosh, I hope those parents are in there, either supportive or angry, but please don't be just MIA. Like, I think I have to look at it and say, if something, if I've got a parent in here upset, that parent's probably afraid that it, fear, 99 times out of 100, fear is the driver of those conflicted conversations. And if I can figure out what they're afraid of, and if I can sway that fear, we're going to be fine. But if I'm just going to jump to defensiveness, then I'm never going to be able to help them be okay. So number one is it, it is personal people and, and it should be because it's education. Uh, number two is you got to be curious. It, I try to ask more questions. I try to end more sentences with question marks than periods or exclamation points when I am in a conflicted conversation. Questions, questions, questions. And the, a little trick, a little trick, don't let anybody use this on you, but you use this on people. You ask somebody a question, you let them talk. And then when they're finished talking, you stay silent. Most of the time they'll start talking again. And the more they tell you, you know, you're, you're kind of a detective right there, Will. You're, you know, you're getting fingerprints, you're collecting hair samples, you're, you're do, you know, looking at all the things. The more I can hear, why am I going to shut somebody off? I need to hear what you have to say so I can help you. Because for, for those of us who need to think selfishly, which is all of us sometimes, if I help you, I help me. Like, if you don't have to be this martyr. Helping that parent who's flipping on you Ultimately, you're helping yourself. And so if that's how you have to think about it because you don't want to help them because you're just in that place and they've just run you ragged and trust me, I've been there. The mindset that I have to have is in helping you, I help me and I would like to help me. <laughs> not, you know, let's not do this again. Um, and I said three things, but right now I, I don't even know what the third one was. It's personal. Yeah, it's always and, and be curious. You're yeah. making me laugh, Lisa, because I'm just remembering back in my AP years. Um, one day when I was in such a hurry, because you know when you're in a hurry is usually when you make the biggest mistakes. And so I was pulling in some students who had missed some assigned detentions or something, and mm -hmm. and I remember I pulled this one student. I may have told this story before to principal matters listeners, but you're bringing it back to my memory. But I pulled in a student. And just immediately started reading in the right act. You missed your yes. detention. I'm, yes. I'm disappointed. I'm going to call your mother so we can reschedule it. And yes. I got, I, and he didn't even have a, 
a time to even speak. I was just going through the, you missed it. Okay, we're going to call your mother. And so I call his mother and I'm like, your son missed his detention. And she's like, well, why was he in detention? And I was like, well, I thought we talked about this. And I was, so I start repeating back to her. Well, because he was in gym and he did something inappropriate he, to, with another, to another boy. And so, you know, it was one of these, yep, yep, yep. These, you know, you've, you've been through these I know. things with gym boys. We all know. <laughs> and, and, and she's like, I'm just so confused, Mr. Parker, because that, I would remember this. And then it just dawned on me. I had the wrong kid in my office. It was calling the wrong mother. And I, thankfully we had a good enough relationship. I just busted up laughing and said, Oh my gosh, here's what happens when you're in too big of a hurry and you're not taking time to listen. And so I'm apologizing to her and the boy who, who was in trouble for something else, but not for what I had thought he was. Not, and I yes. pulled him in. And so, Grace, please, right? Yeah. So you're just bringing back some great memories of what happens when you don't slow down mm-hmm. is you usually run into something that could be mud in your face yep. um, if, if you don't handle it correctly. So yep. being, um, being both remembering it is personal. These are every child you're dealing with is someone's baby. Yeah. And if they don't care, that's worse than if yep. they're mad. Yep. And Staying curious means that you, you listen. And I love it that you said, be silent when they're talking because it's usually the, it's usually what they say in the follow-up. That's the most important. Yeah. And you can imagine because of how many times I've tried to cut you off in this conversation, how hard that is for me. Cause I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm ready with the next thing I have to say. So it requires an incredible amount of discipline, but the payoff is worth it. I, I wrote down two more things I'd like to say, if you don't mind, just you to this. Go for it. You're, you're talking about not being in a hurry. Um, a really good friend of mine, uh, a legendary volleyball coach here in South Dakota, she would talk to me about the sleep committee. And whenever she had a big decision to make, she would say, I'm going to turn it over to the sleep committee. And I'll tell you what, Will, I'm, I'm impulsive. Surprise, surprise, right? Uh, I'm, re- you know, the first thought I have is the thought I'm going to act on. The first call I'm going to make is the call I'm going to make. And I have learned from Anita, my good friend, that the sleep committee is really, really, really valuable. And you know, there are very few times that I can't pause and wait until tomorrow to decide how I'm gonna react or if I'm gonna react at all. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is what I do. I will oftentimes draft the email or you know, the script of the call I'm gonna make and I email it to myself. And then the next day when I come into work, I decide whether or not that needs to be edited or whether it needs to be sent at all. So friends, please send some things to the sleep committee. The The sleep committee is wise and the sleep committee has some things for you that uh, you will otherwise, you know, like you said, it just turns into a self-inflicted wound when we move quickly. Um, the other thing in terms of like having kids call or calling, calling, uh, calling home, I will really often with my seven through 12 students, I don't usually do this with elementary. With elementary students, I usually ask, are we gonna call mom or dad? And then I have the, you know, the little fry with me. Um, I think that kids know who should know. And, and now I'm in a population of 900. So, th- and there are some parents I'm not gonna call because I don't think the consequences that are gonna be imposed at home are appropriate for the, for the, the unexpected behavior here at school you know, some people are scary. And, and so I just, I'm not going to do that. But with my older kids, seven through 12, if there's a message that needs to go home, I usually will say, are you going to tell them or am I? Because I think it's really important for kids to have that opportunity to 
share that message of what their choice was, what their unexpected behavior was, and what the consequence was. Very often kids will say, you know what, I, Mrs. Perry, I will. And then I say, when are you going to do it? Well, um, would it, let's say it's a Thursday. My mom and dad are out of town Friday. Can I tell them on Monday? Yes. And, and again, barring it was, you know, right. again, I'm in Mayberry. So we're not talking probably about, you know, we're not talking about felonies here. Um, we're talking about somebody threw a snowball at somebody who wasn't looking. So, uh, okay, Monday. And I said, all right, that's fine. Um, on Monday that, or on Tuesday then, I need an email or a phone call from mom or dad sharing the nature of your conversation. Because otherwise they'll go home and you know there's potential for them to be the victim all of a sudden and to have been railroaded. I wanna make sure that the message that we decided on is the message that goes home. But I'll tell you what, I have not, that has not failed me. And kids have gone home every time and shared what I needed them to share. And I, I just think there's a lot of value and power in letting them take that message and, and talking about it at home. Amen. So last year you spoke at the National Blue Ribbons School Conference and Lisa, as we wrap up this conversation, there's so much more I would love to ask you, but I, I, I want to go here. <laughs> I, I want to ask you this question. You've you've had the privilege of leading a an award-winning school and and you guys have ex had that experience more than once. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious as you get to speak at conferences for other schools, what takeaways are you sharing that could be helpful, you believe, in any school setting? Well, you know, number one is you got to be cognizant of the way that you make people feel. And you've got to understand leaders. You've got to understand principles that your teachers have a lot of options and you have to operate that way. And if you think you're that, you know, you're the only show in town, you're wrong and you're going to lose good people if you don't treat them like good people. Uh, number two at the end of every day, I ask myself, what did I do today for teaching and learning? And there has to be, that has to be no zero days there. No zero days. I had to have done something for teaching, learning, and maybe the one thing is both, but sometimes it isn't. Maybe sometimes it's supporting a teacher um, in, in a method, and maybe sometimes it's, it's you know working with a learner. It just depends. But what did I do today? I could put out a thousand fires, but if I did nothing for teaching and learning, then I have not been an educational leader in my space. And then the last thing is you got to be humble and you got to defer. I, I'm a secondary teacher by nature. I taught seven through 12 for 20 years before I came to the office. And um, I have great pre-K six people and I know what I don't know. And when it comes to math curriculum for elementary, I ask the people who know more than me. Sorry, no more than I. Look at that. I just used the wrong pronoun. No, you I did it right the first time. It was the object of the preposition. So okay. no more than, Thank you. no, no, you're right. There. No more than I do. Yeah, no more than uh, I see, I look know. at us. See? I, I can write it right, but I can't <laughs> always say it correctly. So I hope my students will listen to this. They'll see that, that I can be wrong too. Um, and, and so but, is I. Yeah, see, two AP length people can be wrong, but people know more than I know. And if I'm going to get so haughty and arrogant and think that, I know elementary math because I went and got a master's degree in ed leadership from South Dakota State University. I mean, I don't. So please help me. <laughs> please help me. And then tell me what I can help you with. Because there's something, I, I know math curriculum expert, but I do know how to teach. And so if you tell me what a good curriculum is, I can help you figure out how to teach it because I know teaching and learning. 
So mm -hmm. let's let's have a mutually beneficial relationship. I I strive for mutually beneficial relationships with all stakeholders. I want to get something and I want to give something. And I want every professional and personal relationship that I'm involved in, I want it to be mutually beneficial. That's the goal. Well, Lisa Perry, this has just been golden. Thank you for the opportunity, not just the opportunity you. for for you and I get to, to to know each other, but also to introduce you to Principal Matters listeners. And I just want to repeat those golden nuggets. How did I make others feel today? What did I do to impact teaching and learning? Yeah. And how am I still learning and staying humble yeah. in this work? What a what a great perspective. Thank you. This this episode we're recording over summer, but it will come out in the fall because I've been pre-recording so many Principal Matters yep. episodes in advance. So as folks are listening to us, um, we will have, you know, we're recording this at a time that where we have a, a pause, but you're going to be um, hearing from listeners who reach back to you right in the middle of a new semester. So how can folks find you Yeah, um, well, and stay connected with your work? I'm kind of excited about this. So uh, my website just went up, www.principalperry.com. And I have to say this, I have three children. Two are teachers. One is a first grade teacher. One is a middle school math teacher. And sometimes my husband and I say we're, you know, two for two. And sometimes we're all for two, depending on the kind of day we had in education. My third daughter is the, uh, is the prodigal child. She went into advertising and marketing. So she just finished her freshman year at South Dakota State University, of course, and um, she built a website. And so here's what I know, friends listening, it needs work, okay? It does, I'm sure of that. So if you've got any insight on how we can make it better, we're willing to learn, but you can find out about me there, the speeches that I give, the things that I care about. And I would love to be in a room with all of you someday. So uh, if you're planning an event and you like what I say and how I say it, uh, I, it would be an honor and a blessing to be with you. Well, Lisa Perry, it's been an honor to be with you today. And Thank I'm you. so excited to introduce you to Principal Matters listeners and your likable leadership. And I'll just also say this as we wrap up, I came across you through a lot of the posts that you've been doing on LinkedIn. And so Thank if you. anyone wants yeah. a sneak peek of just the, you have such a, a clever way of taking just an idea or something you've learned that day and sharing it out in a very clever, pithy, um, entertaining, funny, whatever you want to call it in, in, in a very short way, you say a lot. And so, so thanks Lisa for your skills, for Thank the you. leadership that you've done for your school community. And now for sharing it with so many others outside of your own community across your state and across the nation. So Principal Matters listeners, Thank you for the opportunity to learn together today with Lisa and with me. And thank you for doing what matters. We'll talk to you again soon. You can find free resources like this one at my website at williamdparker.com. Check out the services link on williamdparker.com to learn more about leadership academies, mastermind offerings, and executive coaching. If you're planning professional development for the year ahead, or you're looking for keynote presentations from any of my books, please email me at will at williamdpark.com. Thank you for learning together today. And thanks again for doing what matters.